Do you wonder if others are dealing with the same project management challenges as you? Not sure where to turn for guidance and leadership? Office Hours are in session as we discuss project management and PMOs with global leaders, hearing their story and learning their secrets to success. Our goal is to empower you and help you elevate your PMO and project management career to new heights. Welcome back to Project Management Office Hours with your host, PMO Joe. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours. We're the number one live project management radio show in the United States, broadcasting to you from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe. And for the next hour or so, we're going to be talking project management and citizen development today as well. Before we jump into the show, as we always do, a couple of announcements. First, I want to thank the PMI Alamo chapter. Uh, they hosted me last week. I was in town in San Antonio, first in-person speaking appearance since the pandemic. So it was great to have the energy and interaction of an audience. Uh, so really appreciate them having me come into town. Talking PMOs and organizational maturity uh, was a great discussion. And certainly thank you to everybody for the warm reception and the input during the, the session. Also want to invite everybody to uh, register for the PMO Leader Conference that is coming up uh, here on October 18th. And we've got the link here. We'll put it in the show notes. Uh, for those not familiar, we're going to be starting at uh, 9 a.m. in Perth, Australia. And then we're going to be live for 18 consecutive hours, just bringing you content from around the world, 30-plus speakers, six different continents, couldn't get anybody from Antarctica. We tried real hard, but we couldn't do that. And we're just going to be following the sun, right? We're just going to keep moving west, starting in Australia and work our way around the world, finishing up in the United States. Uh, so again, that'll be 18 hours of, of consecutive live content uh, on project management, PMOs, change management, volunteering, you name it, all of the topics within our industry that we're common uh, and familiar with. Uh, some great speakers, Lee Lambert uh, be joining us, Ruth Pierce, Bill Dow, Amira, Amira Mazahari, Karsten Lay, Dr. Mazen Gadir, uh, Yasmini Khalifa, uh, so many more, right? It's going to be an amazing experience. So really looking forward to having you all there. It's free, thanks to our sponsors. Uh, Keyed In, Planisware, and BPM Vision are covering the, the cost of the pro program. So for everybody, it's just free to go and we'd love to have you join us. This is show 112. Uh, we are live, and for everybody out there that's in PMI land and looking for PDUs, uh, right, as you, as you have to refresh those each year, each show runs about an hour, so they're good for one PDU in your self-reported pool. Um, so there's an amazing library of discussions with leaders from around the world uh, and within our industry that I would highly recommend that you tap into. Uh, we've got to get the PDUs anyway, so you might as well make it be a fun and entertaining way to do that. Or maybe I'm biased. I think it's fun and entertaining. Who knows if you do as well. But strongly encourage you to go out there and check out our old shows. You can get them on any of your favorite podcast platforms or also out in the uh, our website, out on the PMO squad. Uh, you can get that as well. We're live streaming on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and of course on internet radio through Phoenix Business Radio X. Uh, so uh, we're excited to have you join us live. So if we slip up, it's because we're a live show. We're not recorded like a lot of the podcasts are out there. And I'm super excited to have our guests with us today. I'll allow them to introduce themselves, but we'll bring them all up here. We have Dolly Ninkovich, Matt Hubbard, and Michael McCulloch. Thank you so much for joining us all. Uh, Dolly, if, if you can take a moment to introduce yourselves and let everybody know a little bit more about you. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for inviting me. Um, uh, I'm, uh, my name is Albert Ninkovic, as, as, as you said. I'm currently working as a global B2C and chapter engagements um, manager for PMI, uh, with the primary focus on the sets and development. I've joined PMI at the beginning of this year, following almost three decades of um, low-code or no-code, even before it was called low-code or no-code industry. So um, I believe I bring a wealth of experience from both technology point of view as well as the business uh, to, to this practice. And um, yeah, um, that's me in short. 
Thank you so much, Dolly. And you're joining us from London, I believe you said, the London area. So good to have you uh, join us. Yeah. As you can see, it's dark outside. So. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for taking some of your evening away to join us. Matt, uh, repeat guest on the show, but uh, folks may not have seen the first one. So if you can take a moment to introduce yourself as well. Yeah, certainly, Joe. How you doing? Everybody, Dolly, Mike, Joe. Uh, Joe, congratulations on five years and this being your 112th episode. That's phenomenal uh, by any, any standard. Um, as Joe said, I was on the show last year, almost a, a year ago to the day, and we were talking about citizen development. My name is Matt Hubbard. I'm the head of operational excellence at TrackVIA. TrackVIA is a low-code, no-code technology platform, and it's the tech Low-code, no-code is the technology that enables citizen developers to do what they do. They're not programmers. They need a technology that allows them to drag and drop and make their own apps. And that's what my company does, TrackVIA. My background, I'm a process improvement professional. That's what I am at the core. I've been doing that for over 20 years. And I discovered low-code, no-code in citizen development about 12 years ago because um, I just couldn't control my processes with spreadsheets and email. And building a full-blown system uh, cost too much, took too long, and I didn't get to make any changes. So I learned to be a citizen developer, and I feel like it's my superpower now. So I am here to tell everybody about it because I think it'll change their lives like it has changed mine. Awesome. And and uh, another thing you got going for you, you can see you're a Michigan fan, so I like that as well. Boom. All right. And Michael, uh, welcome. You're you're coming from the East Coast, I believe, right? I am. Yes. Uh, thank you very much for uh, for having me. I'm completely beside myself and honored to be here. So I appreciate it. Um, so a little bit about myself. Well, I'm actually uh, uh, usually coming from Suffolk, Virginia area. But right now, the family and I are on vacation up in the uh, mountains of Virginia. So hopefully my uh, my Internet stays uh, stays strong. Uh, but I am the uh, citizen development business architect for Amtrak. We've been on the citizen development journey um, in Amtrak for about four years now, uh, two years with actual CD program. And um, I got to tell you, I, I couldn't be uh, more proud of the folks that I work with. We went from um, two developers uh, to just under 400, uh, went from 12 apps to just under 3,000, excuse me, 4,000. I don't want to short them. <laughs> uh, so they're doing amazing work. You know, I started my journey on uh, uh, low code or uh, citizen development about nine, 10 years ago at Anthem. I was uh, part of a uh, process improvement uh, project uh, contract optimization team. And, um, you know, one thing that I always found is there was never one solution. There was never one way to do things. And so always having that dream of that, that if I only had this one thing that could uh, could help fix uh, our problems, it kind of got me in in the quest for uh, finding that. And, you know, I, I finally did find it in citizen development. So thanks for having me again. Yeah, my pleasure. It's uh, great to have you with us and to be able to get a customer's perspective, right? An, applica an application of the, the tools and mindset and not just the a vendor who's supporting it, right? It, it's the it's the real world. This is what we want to be able to present to people. So I think it's great to have that perspective, as we talked about. Matt is uh, with us last year uh, to talk about this, and you know, Dolly. I think n not everybody, of course, that's going to listen to the show would have heard last year's show. So let's start from the basics, right? Let's let's create some common ground for everybody and citizen developer, what is that? Why is PMI involved? And if you can kind of lay the groundwork for us. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. Well, <clears throat> citizen development, I mean, like both Matt and, and Mike both explained it really well in, in terms of, is it the first question is, is it the new job role? It's not. Yeah. It, it is what my, my Matt likes to say. It's just a new way of working. So we are fortunate enough today that we have a technology that allows uh, non-professional programmers to create apps. And this is something that, that's been kind of um, in demand for a very, very long time. And fortunately, we are at the point now with the technology to actually enable that. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important for several reasons, I believe, because if you look at the modern world that we live in today, we are essentially living in kind of a software world. Everything from your kitchen appliances to your cars, to your mobile phones, everything requires software nowadays. 
And the simple fact in the market is today that there isn't enough professional developers to handle that. So the IT backlogs within the organizations just continue to grow, and that's causing more and more pains for the businesses. They are becoming less and less competitive over time. So the solution became obvious through what we call nowadays citizen development. Now, this is a term that Gartner invented. Whether we call it citizen development, whether we're going to call it in 10 years' time citizen development, that's irrelevant. The simple fact remains that through the use of technology, we enable business domain knowledge holders, as I like to call them, to create apps. And who better to create these apps to enable business to function better and um, in more competitive way than, uh, than those users? Now, why is the Project Management Institute involved in this? Well, if you look at the project management role and, and the modern project management role, I mean, project management, and I think we can all agree, I'm, I'm not project manager. I come from software development background, but I've worked with a lot of project managers over, over, over the last decades. Um, that role has evolved, and um, it's evolved to the point where project managers, it's expected more from the project managers nowadays than it was 20 years ago, for example. So it's not just simple enough to kind of manage projects from start to finish. Nowadays, we live in a very dynamic world. So project managers need these, I'd like to call them digital accelerators. Let's call it that way. I think that's a good term. Digital accelerators as a kind of a complementary skills to the existing project management skills to kind of identify and manage these projects and lead these initiatives within the organizations, which subsequently will lead to kind of greater benefits for the organization. It will relieve the pain of the IT because they don't have to do everything. At the same time, it will keep the project managers, I would say, more relevant in today's kind of um, more kind of software-driven dynamic world. I think um, I can see on Matt's face that he he's agreeing, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he's got something to add to that. <laughs> I've always got something to add to it, but I don't know if that's appropriate <laughs> for me to jump in because I, I can go on and on and talk and talk. But since you said so, I know. <laughs> That's why we love you, Matt. <laughs> I can't help myself. I'm just so excited about citizen development. I know it's a weird kind of nerdy thing, but that's what makes me tick. Gosh, a few things you said, Dolly, that, that just struck me. So you talked about the term citizen development. It is kind of a weird term. It, it's the term we have. Um, we, some folks have wrestled around with other terms, but I'll just tell, I think it's funny, a very quick story. I was introducing citizen de development to somebody and they had no idea what it was. And when I used the term, they seriously said, is that a nefarious plan for the government to control their population? <laughs> <laughs> and I had to think that threw me off guard. But no, that's not what it is in this context. Maybe it is somewhere else. But I mean, I get it. Citizen, like the average citizen, we don't have the superpower of coding, right? So that's where citizen comes from. And then we're developing apps as an average citizen. So that was one thing, the term. Maybe it'll change. My buddy, uh, he's, he's a friend of mine and an ex-business partner. He refers to it as, yeah, someday it'll just be called work, like you said, Dolly. Um, you know, today people spin up spreadsheets and that's kind of what you expect when people go to work, right? You're expecting that they're spinning up spreadsheets and tracking stuff and sending email. That's called work in today's day and age. Uh, today and moving forward, uh, you'll start to see people like, of course, yeah, I'm going to spin up an app really quick because I can, and that will be called work. So, geez, I, I told you I could go on and on. That's just the word citizen development, right? Um, the, the second piece I want to lean in on is the um, citizen development for uh, project managers. I'm thinking like, why project managers? I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I think it's two things. Why, why, should citizen, why should project managers care about citizen development? One, to get more done, but two, at lower costs. And so what I mean by this is, we, as, you, as you said, Dolly, we have high demand for applications today, right? So Microsoft estimated that the digital demand for applications to be built is 500 million apps over the course of the next five years, which is more than the last 40 years combined. That, I mean, let's just sit on that for a second. Holy cow, right? <laughs> that's gigantic. And so that's the demand to complement that is the supply of coders is low. 86% um, of decision makers today say that the number one challenge 
to digitally transform is basically this shortage of software developers. Um, and so then that's where citizen development comes in. So if a company can build up a citizen development program where they not only have their own programmers on site or accessible as a third party, but they also have staff on site that can be part-time citizen developers into their regular job, project managers are going to have a bigger resource pool to pull from. Not every project is going to be suitable for low-code, no-code in citizen development, but for those that are, project managers can tap into those resources. Another one, and gosh, I apologize for just going on and on, but I have just two more I want to share. Project managers. This came up, uh, a project manager told me this recently. She said that she's using citizen development to manage scope creep. So what happens is the project is moving along. They've got the requirements. They determine upfront, this is what we want to build. And later on, they discover, I'd actually like these things in my project. And what she's doing is saying, okay, great. Those are kind of simple things. A citizen developer can do them. Why don't we co-build? So the customer is building those scope creep items in parallel with the uh, project delivery team that manages the cost and the timeline. I thought it was brilliant. That um, also links to the change management, doesn't it? Yeah, tell me more about that. One of the typical examples is what I've seen in, in kind of a best, best uses of citizen development is like we said, where the business demands changes in the software apps that they're currently using. Now, um, those changes traditionally would go to the IT. So it goes in the backlog. And then subsequently, as we all know uh, by now, IT is overwhelmed with all of these changes that they need to make to these apps. Now, imagine the case where these changes could be actually delegated to the business domain holders instead of waiting for six, 12 months to deliver them. Well, imagine if they can do it themselves. I mean, that would, for me, that's that's one of the, because normally people usually, the way I see, I mean, from my experience, people usually calculate the cost of software development, but nobody really looks into the cost of software ownership over the years. Mm. And that's where the biggest cost comes and accumulates over time that I've seen in the organizations. Now, imagine if that cost can be brought down, you know, significantly by delegating these change management tasks um, to the to the actual citizen developers instead of actually putting them um, in the IT I, see, I think I see what you mean. So when, you, when you're referring to change management in this case, it's you've already launched the production version of the app. Now we're moving into the future. Business is changing. Requirements are changing. So the app needs to change. And okay. I'll tell you what, in um, the very first technology project I tried to tackle over 15 years ago, I was quoted $10 million to build, 10 years to build, and no changes. You got one shot. You got to get it right the first time because the coders aren't waiting for you to decide what changes you need. You got to get back in line. And so this is an interesting concept, Al. You and I have never talked about this before, but uh, citizen developers can be used to build the apps, but they can also be used to continuously improve and tweak the apps. So that model is really interesting. You could have a an app that was actually built by IT on a low-code, no-code platform. They handled all the heavy lifting. But then when they handed it over, the citizen developers realized, ah, I need some different reports and notifications and a, a change here. If they're equipped, they can do that. That makes good sense. It really comes down to scalability. So kind of going a little bit back, I think one of the other things that, that, citizen development does, and, and we have a lot of experience um, at Amtrak with this, is, you know, we're about 50 years old. And so we are kind of the cliche of uh, inefficient, or we were the cliche of inefficiency and in business model. We were four companies. We got consolidated into one, um, and we had four IT departments, four HRs, you know. But then as the years went on, you know, we're publicly funded. And so they're like, hey, need to kind of start streamlining operations. Uh, what happened was, is that initially before the citizen development, we had all the normal process improvement challenges of this person or this department not talking to this person, uh, these folks not understanding the mission or roles or goals of this group. Through citizen development, through these individual people starting to talk, they started plugging these things in. And it's, it's, it's like connecting a spider web you literally through a grassroots uh, effort of just trying to work, right? N not even really what we would think of as grand improvement. 
it's we're connecting these people together, connecting their talents, connecting their knowledge, and that spreads like wildfire throughout the company. One of the things that I was asked to do when I initially came to Amtrak was find a way to report on project management. You know, we had all these folks doing project management in lots of different ways and methodologies. Uh, we had uh, a team come in, stand up an EPMO, and they said, hey, listen, we need one method to look at what we're spending, just, just literally what we were spending at the time. So there were, I want to say, three or four different PM reporting systems out there, none of which were, they were accurate for their purpose, but not overall for the company. Uh, so being able to tap into the different systems and then show the reporting, uh, we started getting the, you know, the message out there of what was going on. The PMBOK was starting to be utilized. People were getting certified as, as their PMPs. Then people started to understand, oh, well, hey, we need a way to do track milestones, risks, updates, inputs, uh, scope, schedule. Well, we didn't have the budget or the time because all this stuff needed to be done yesterday. We built four major PM supporting applications. It took about 1,300 development hours. Now, mind you, this is all scaled over the course of uh, of, a, of about a year, year and a half. Um, and it's actually grown since then. We have about 1,300 baseline users. I want to say the last time I looked, we had about $1.8 million invested with licensing um, uh, operations. Uh, we've given back the unmeasurable stuff, and I guess we could measure it, but the unmeasurable is uh, increased project management participation in reporting, better project results, better decision-making capabilities from the executive suites, and we've given back about 1.2 million hours back to the company in, in personnel hours, and we've saved, uh, I want to say, as of last week, it's about $68 million. That's over the course of four and a half years. So those those are numbers that, that I think don't really lie. I, I think what the most important thing, as you guys were talking about, is it's scalable. We've continued to evolve. We've continued to change as the business has changed. And I, I think the, the question for me from the outsider looking in, right, no investment in this in any way other than just hosting this show. And I, I'm trying to put it into my own career and where I've seen something similar to this. I go back to the, you know, the nineties or so when I was, I can go back to the eighties and nineties when I was working in shadow IT existed and organizations were trying to put governance in place to be able to say, listen, you can't have a server underneath your desk and not let us know about it because somebody could hack into it. So we need to encrypt it. We need to, so there was this big battle, right? Between the business and IT over where technology was going to be managed. And then as the, the Blackberries and the iPhones started to come in, that shifted and, and turned off, right? And there were people who would walk around with two Blackberries, right? I, I had my personal one, and I had my work one, because work wouldn't allow them to be on the same device. Well, now I have six or seven email accounts on my phone because that's just normal, right? That's just the way it is. So I see this as it sounds like, right? We don't do this in my organization, but it sounds like another way to be able to make an organization more efficient because the people who are doing the actual work within their business unit, they know what they need to get done. And they just go out and they have the tools now to be able to implement that without going through the uh, command infrastructure of another department. So the question that comes out of that then is, what if they do it wrong? What if it doesn't give them what they need? How does the organization handle a market research analyst now going off and creating a low-code, no-code app that's providing numbers into the C-suite that decisions are being made on. So I don't know if who wants to kind of take up a, a, a response to that type of question. I can certainly oh, good, go, ahead. go ahead, Dolly. <laughs> I'll, I'll start, and then you gentlemen okay. just. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm saying this because I've actually experienced this myself in, in my software career. There is. Joe, you touched on a very interesting um, topic there. Um, how does IT department looks look at the um, citizen development as, as a whole? Because IT will basically say, well, there is no way we can let these people kind of develop apps. I mean, we've got sensitive data, et cetera, et cetera. 
And I always say to people, citizen development is not about people just grabbing the first tool that's next to them and, and start building apps without any control or governance. Now, if you if that's the case, then you're going to end up with the shadow IT. And that is very dangerous and risky concept for any organization. So the idea behind citizen development is that it's done in the IT-sanctioned way, let's put it this way. So IT still needs to be involved, of course. They need to be involved during the uh, selection of the low-code platform, whether that's one or multiple platforms, doesn't matter. I usually kind of promote multiple platforms because one platform doesn't fit all the use cases that people might have. Uh, IT needs to make sure that the the, the, the appropriate data barrier uh, guidance is in place, how the uh, corporate standards are followed, make sure that the citizens are trained, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm not saying this is just a task for the IT, but IT needs to be part of this. I like to call it a center of excellence. So every organization that's considering citizen development on a larger scale, I would strongly suggest creates the center of excellence, which is a combination of the business and IT people who are in charge of setting these rules and how and training and everything else that, that, that surrounds the citizen development initiative. It's only then when you roll this out to the wider kind of business masses uh, in there. So that's, in, that's my two cents on, 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 on that topic, I would say. But uh, I'm sure Mike and, uh, and, and Matt have something to contribute as well. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I, uh, I think so. And, and probably one thing that should be mentioned is uh, citizen development um, needs to have its, its like Dolly said, you have to have guidelines, you have to have standards. Uh, it has to be an organized effort. I don't believe that it is solely the job or really the job of the PMO or the project manager. It needs to be a separate entity. So I am what's called the, the citizen development business architect of our, our company. My role is to develop guidelines, standards, governance, provide training, input, I am, I am an advocate for the developers, the citizen developers. I'm also a guardian of our enterprise, so data and, and, and whatnot. And you need to kind of sit in between uh, the IT department and your developers and, and act as a conduit. You're also uh, presenting material to you know, your, your executives. You're talking to the directors, the VPs, AVPs, and bringing that value that explanation of what are they doing, what are they not doing for your citizen development program. You know, I think, I think it's, it's, it's important, it's an important role because if you don't, if you shut everything down or if IT runs this program and makes citizen development another bureaucratic method of getting things done, you're going to get shadow IT. And that is exactly one of the things that we worked um, uh, or we had challenged uh, at Amtrak was we had probably four different systems that literally we couldn't buy pencils without this system, but it was a shadow IT built thing that somebody had worked with like 20 years ago, uh, worked with IT and it got it implemented, but we couldn't shut it off and start with a new system because we had no idea what it did. So yeah, I, I think there's there's definitely needs to be some guidelines and, and, and construct in it, but at the same time, I'm all about making sure that my folks or the, the CDs can, can create uh, on the fly when they need to, but provide that guidance. You just stepped in on what I was about to say. You still need to kind of leave that creativity, you know, to yeah, people. You, they have to. And Matt, from a from a vendor perspective that's in the space now supporting it, what's the growth look like? I mean, it, we talked a year ago, so a year has gone by. Are, are you seeing the use case and utility and organizations continue to grow? Is there is there more energy behind this now? This is why we wanted to revisit it, right? Because I think when we when we left off last year, it was fairly new at the time. And it's like, well, you know, I'm skeptic over here. I'm like, eh, we'll see if this flies. But so what's it like? What's what's What have you seen over the past year? Yeah, the, the short answer to that is yes, the energy has drastically increased uh, in the last year. Uh, very different from one year ago. Uh, I, I think it was marked with heavy skepticism one year ago. Now the arms are coming down going, hmm, I'll listen. This is starting to make a little more sense to me. Let me give you some examples for that. So I would say a few years ago, I struggled to connect with CIOs 
uh, to discuss on this topic of citizen development and leveraging low-code, no-code with their, their business folks. Recently, I met with some CIOs, and one of them told me, um, yeah, we tried that. We, um, we gave a low-code, no-code platform to the business, and frankly, I wasn't impressed with what they built. I said, "Did you? how did that work? Did you support them? Did you train them? Did you give them best practices or guardrails? No, we just like said, here's your platform. Good luck, right? And so the way I view any sustainable business operation, a healthy sustainable operation is you got, you have to nurture three components. And just imagine this as a Venn diagram, okay? So the people, the technology, and the process. You have to have all three coming together. Until PMI entered the citizen development arena just a year and a half ago or so, we only had the people in the technology. We had people like me who were like craving to get off a spreadsheet so I could do something better. And we had low-code, no-code technology that worked. But we didn't have any framework or guardrail. So what I was noticing uh, since I got started as citizen development over 10 years ago, I think somebody at uh, PMI validated this, is we were seeing pockets of success. But nowhere did we see this scale in a healthy, sustainable way across an organization. And it's because that process framework, the management framework, the role that, that Mike just described that he's doing, it didn't exist. Now, some people did try to create their own framework, but it's much easier for momentum to be gained when a trusted organization like PMI enters the arena and creates that framework and baseline for everybody to start operating from and move forward. And basically, I think PMI knocked it out of the park with their uh, Citizen Developer Foundation course. They created this like really easy course to consume. It's only 90 minutes, but it really imparts on you the, the why citizen development, the how citizen development, uh, how do you do that in a safe and effective way without stifling creativity? And they they impart that in like 90 minutes. And then most people, uh, CIOs included, that, that take that course, that 90-minute course, they are leaning in afterwards going, oh, okay, I see. I was missing the process piece before. We could probably do this a little smarter. Yeah, definitely. Not, uh, Matt, I mean, uh, it took us a lot longer than 90 minutes to create that course. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, you know, Matt, you you hit the nail on the head. So having been a part of developing that software agnostic look at citizen development, I, I always thought that that was it was a critical uh, a part of it. Um, and you know, I, we all like to think that hey, we kind of we believe in what we do. We really put a lot of uh, uh, credence uh, into our, our theories and whatnot, but. Uh, two weeks ago, I was at a uh, um, software conference uh, down in Orlando, and it was funny. I'm sitting there, and I'm watching all these amazing apps being built and all these really cool things being done in like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, AI, forms, pictures, all kinds of really cool stuff. But the biggest thing that was missing was the how. And in my conversations with people, over the course of probably five days, I probably had a hundred separate conversations when people found out what we were doing at Amtrak and how we built, how, how, like, how did you do it? How did you get people to, to get on board with this? How did you get them training? Um, how did you break that IT barrier to where, you know, IT, bless their hearts, they want to do the right thing. They want to protect the organization, but they want to shut everything down. How did you get them to not do that? And I, I think that was the biggest takeaway for me. I mean, number one, hey, it just, it was like, the, it's here. This is happening. And, and wow, we have so many large companies um, and innovative companies such as, as Matt's uh, getting on board with this. But it's the, how do you do this and make it a success? That's, that's the trick. If I, if I just may add to that, um, basically, um, I read the first report from uh, two years ago, only two years ago, there was around 100 low-code, no-code vendors out there in the market. Two years later, which is now, we have close to 500. We've got actually 472 low-code, no-code vendors in the market or platforms. Now, 
I just want to say not every single one of them is suitable for the citizen development because some of them are a bit more technical, so they're mainly focused on the IT productivity, et cetera, et cetera. But um, the simple fact remains is that the, there is definitely a need in the market for these platforms and the need arises from the lack of software development and the increase of demand for software applications. And fortunately, these platforms are made in such a way nowadays that we can enable citizen developers, like I said at the beginning. Now, the critical thing is, just to add to what uh, Mike and Matt were saying, is what was missing for the scalable kind of implementation of citizen development across any organization. I mean, if you're talking about a small organization with two or three people, then you don't need any of that. You don't need those guidelines because it's, it's possible for them to control that very easily. But if you're talking about any sort of larger scale organization that's looking to citizen development, the main obstacle was the lack of standards, guidelines, tool frameworks, tools that will help people manage that risk and, and, and govern that process that will, you know, take the organization from experimenting with the local technology to the innovation point, which, you know, they're going to reach in uh, after, after a certain period of time. I normally say to people, I'm, 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 I'm not a huge supporter of Big Bang, you know, in, especially when it comes to software development. I always say start small, smart, start maybe across one department within the organization and see how it works, polish out the errors and everything else and then move forward. And uh, the the tools that we provide now, you know, they uh, they help people with that because not every project is suitable for system developments. You know, there are some which should be still with the IT, some of them with some help with the IT, but there are huge masses of applications that are perfectly suitable for business developers to to, to do it themselves. Yeah, governance. I think the software changes so rapidly as well that if you focus, uh, I, I I do talks here and there, um, one of the things that I say is when you're when you're implementing a citizen development program or you're attempting to, you need to focus 75% on that change management, that organizational implementation of your CD program, and then look at 25% of the software. Number one, I would say try to use what you have. If you got something laying around in-house that you're already paying for, try to use it. Get a taste for it. Once you share some successes, once you can start to quantify that initial ROI, that investment, then you can go out and go, oh, well, you know, am I, am I an Apple? Am I a Betty Blocks? Am I a Tracvia or Microsoft? You know, uh, then you can start looking at scaling your program with the software. Um, you know, the other, other thing I like to um, uh, kind of look at is you can cross-pollinate um, citizen development uh, software. So we're working with some GIS software, low-code software, and we're implementing it with another software suite. And so there, there's lots that you can do, but but the bottom line is you want your processes, you want your your guidelines, your structure, your support there before you start. As I again, I'm trying to put this into my own experiences and mindset here. I think back to worked for Textron uh, a long time ago, a parent company of Bell Helicopter, Cessna Aircraft, and, and others. And they implemented Six Sigma throughout the organization. And it wasn't just in the manufacturing floor where they were doing this. It was everywhere. So you could get a set of tools and training and a process to be able to make your job more efficient without having to go run a enterprise project you could run a small greenbelt project to go in and utilize a set of tools <laughs> to be able to make the company more efficient and therefore more profitable and the shareholders happier. In shadow IT was kind of that mindset, right? Where we allowed more to happen because the organization could be more efficient if we allowed a broader base within the organization to do some of the things that they need to do. We have accidental project managers running probably more than half of the projects in companies around the world. And maybe the focus isn't, we shouldn't be trying to get them all to become PMPs. We just need to give them some skills to run projects better. All of a sudden a CAPM comes around, right? A, a lower level certification. And, and now what I'm hearing is through this discussion from all of you guys and the utilization and use cases, it's similar to this mindset, right? It's, we're not trying to create a brand new function in the organization. What we're trying to do is empower the existing functions to do what they're already doing, but do it in a less invasive way so that the company can be more lowercase agile 
to be able to be more efficient and produce. Is, is that, am I hearing this correctly? Yeah, well, that's spot on. <laughs> yeah, I, somebody asked me last week, um, I was on a, a similar call, and uh, we, we were talking about um, bridging the gap between the business and IT. And um, somebody brought up a question or a, a topic, and they said, um, how do you deal with doing more with less in uh, citizen development or, or, you know, in this, in this business. And I said, and I, I kind of stopped for a second. I said, you know, actually I'm, I'm kind of going to challenge that mentality. I wouldn't say that you're doing more with less, but when you create this capability, when you nurture this ability to problem solve, to, uh, to create these quick wins, but to do it in a way that is, is beneficial to the company, you're doing more with more. You're empowering a whole set of people that are able to, to critically problem solve everyday problems. And, and it's not one small trained sect of people. It's, it's not that one process improvement department. It is the entire employee organization. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Mike, I've got a question for you. Now you, you touched on something very, very sensitive um, because um, I've heard comments about, you know, just citizen development just gives me more work, you know. And I mean, how did your employees at Amtrak look at the citizen development? I mean, do they feel that there's something that's empowering them and increases job satisfaction, or is this something that they look at like, oh, additional burden? I'm just, I just have to do more now. Yeah, no, that's a great question, um, and you're absolutely right. Um, and I have run into that before, where people have asked me that, and and I'll say, citizen development isn't about always doing it yourself, right? So as a project manager. You or, or a PMO leader, your primary responsibility is to produce results to drive efficient, you know, project results. So, case in point, I was I was two years ago. I'm sitting up in Washington D.C. We've got this new thing called COVID. Nobody knows what it is. Nobody knew how to handle it. Um, in the transportation industry, that was a, a significant concern to us. So we assembled this incident response team. Uh, we are trying to figure out uh, the best way forward. And we had some very talented project managers there uh, um, managing these small little projects that people were trying to, to implement. Somebody had asked, can we track where are all of our facilities? We have 900 plus. Uh, we've, we're in 46 of the 48 lower uh, states. And uh, they wanted to see where all the all the COVID cases were at, where our employees were at. And they went to IT, the, the PM did, and said, hey, can we do this? And they said, well, yeah, sure. Uh, it's like four or five different systems that we would have to pull from. It'd take us probably about two months. And this is your, roughly your budget. All the executives were like, yeah, no, we need this information like today. And so had the PMs been aware at the time of citizen development and, you know, the capabilities, they could have turned to me and said, hey, Mike, can we do something really quickly that, that can meet this demand right now? Now, having been in the support role, I actually turned to my boss at the time and said, hey, Serena, um, I think I can do this in, in like a week. And so I went to the uh, IT guy, the head IT guy that was sitting in the room with us, super nice. And I, and I explained, you know, what the need was and, and, you know, would he have a problem with me trying this? I was able to, I want to say 36 hours worth of development, connect four or five different systems do a dashboard, which included the CDC uh, information, provide an app to all the different station managers to track incidents, cleanliness, all this other stuff. And we're still using it today. So I, I would challenge that the really the trick is it's not it's not that you're piling more stuff onto this uh, the project manager. It's you're giving them an understanding that they can go out to these individuals and say, "Hey, I see we have this problem. Maybe is there something that we can do?" Or when somebody comes to them and says, "Oh, you know, I don't want to have to record over ten thousand different requirements. Let's use AI to feed these sheets of paper in here." They don't scoff at it and go, well, no, no, no. They understand the value that that can provide. Yeah, so citizen development gives the project managers more options, right? As opposed to the one that tends to take a while and might consume uh, some heavier resources. Um, There's probably another angle to this giving me more work, not just for the project managers, but for the citizen developers themselves. Because oftentimes, 
uh, they have a day job, right? And so I've, uh, Dolly, I don't know if that's who you were referring to, but I've, I've heard that tossed out there before. I've got a day job. I don't have time to develop apps. Well, I guess there's two things I would throw out at that. One is you're probably developing spreadsheets and there are a lot of people who are putting heavy macros into their spreadsheets to try to make them more efficient, but they can never get the job done like an actual app can. And so nobody's talking about the time they're spending to build these spreadsheets, right? They're talking about the time that they would be spending to build the apps. The apps don't take that long to build with low code, no code today. So I would say eh, it's about a wash as far as like building the tool, but then the savings you have in your operations, because you can actually automate things. Oh my gosh, it's a, it's a godsend. I have a very interesting experience to mention. I mean, I'm not allowed to mention any names, but uh, I'm just going to say it was a large company with over 100,000 employees, global, massive multi-billion dollar organization. And uh, I, I usually use this example because it's um, it's actually really good and it doesn't relate to the project managers. And uh, essentially, uh, a lot of large organizations nowadays have what they call continuous improvement programs, you know, where the organizations are continuously looking to find better ways to work, to save money, to make money, either way. And um, I worked very closely with a team of project managers who, um, who were traditionally managing project by project. You know, one project you start or multiple projects and you finish them and you deliver them and that's it. But they've heard of citizen development, they've, they've read our book, and that kind of intrigued them. So what they've done is, um, this is actually really, really amazing uh, use case, I would say, They've created a survey across the whole organization to identify what potential apps business users would actually require to make their job more efficient. And then they managed to quantify how much, how many hours per week or per year they would save by doing this, long-term implications as well. The survey came back with about 1,200 potential apps. Like I said at the beginning, not every single one of them was suitable for the citizen development, but because they understood the criteria for citizen development apps from our book, they identified around 540 applications suitable for citizen development. When you multiply that with uh, all of those hours saved or you know efficiency, et cetera, et cetera, the estimated uh, cost saving or saving was between 30 and 50 million, roughly. This was just an estimation, uh, pounds, uh, over a three years period. Now, to me, Michael already mentioned some, some enormous savings figures. I mean, name me one organization that's not looking for to save money or to make money. <laughs> now, I see project managers as very unique individuals who, who have this broad view of everything that's happening across the organizations. And for me, they are perfectly positioned to identify these projects, to actually lead these projects, to create, to experiment with these um, with the sets in development, to actually lead uh, the whole initiative uh, within the organization to bring it to the stakeholders. That's, mm. for me, that was a, really one of the best use cases I've ever heard of. Dali, I'd like to lean in on that one just a little bit, and I'd like to combine it with something Joe brought up, uh, Lean Six Sigma, right? We're trying to find improvements uh, in our organization. Dali, you just mentioned some organization that found and suggested like 500 different improvements, and theoretically, they could result, if they all got implemented, Right, they could result in a certain amount of money. Well, I'm going to try to remember Demaic. Are you Joe with Lean Six Sigma? Are you familiar with Demaic? It's yep. their five step process define, measure, analyze, mm -hmm. implement, and control. If I got that right, sometimes yep. I get my words wrong. Okay, <laughs> you're on. <laughs> well, what would happen often is you would get through the define, the measure, the analyze, and then you got to the implement, and you're like, okay. I'm stuck, right? Because now a lot of these suggestions are digital improvements and I don't have a way to implement it. So it goes in the backlog and it ends up being like this great analysis project and a suggestion that was made, but it's never really seen through to the end. Implementation often takes the form of spreadsheets and email. Control then becomes, how do you control with spreadsheets and email? I think this is just, my opinion, I don't, I'm interested to what you guys think about this. Citizen development with low code, no code is like Lean Six Sigma's next best friend or new best friend, I should say, uh, because I think it can help realize 
more of the savings that we are thinking we could achieve in our heads. Yeah, no, you're you're one hundred percent right, Matt. Um, I like I was mentioning at the beginning of the uh, the show. Um, so I got my Lean Six Sigma black belt. I was doing a lot of that um, in the initial part of my career, uh, trying to support the projects and the uh, the contracts, but. Because business is starting to move at an even more rapid pace, and oh, by the way, now we have a hybrid, a true hybrid workforce, trying to implement or truly implement and control a lot of these improvements has become next to impossible. I think that's where we fall short so many times. People will find something cumbersome or uh, not as effective as they would like it because Let's be honest. I mean, we don't always get exactly what we want when we go to IT, but that's just because of a a break of understanding of what they do and them for what we do. Uh, So I think the the rapid solutions, uh, the rapid development and the rapid implementation and the scalability truly brings that 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 method of, hey, look what we have. It's 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 easy. And then if somebody goes, you know, I like that. But gosh, that button is in the wrong spot. So. We can move the button very quickly and boom, you know, the customer's happy and they start using it. They don't then go and start doing a spreadsheet or an email or on the back of a napkin, even though now with AI, we can read those things and our implementations are a lot more successful. Mike, you just you just touched on the, on that business versus IT kind of gap. And uh, like I said, I've been in software development industry for a very long time now and that's always been there. And if we, if people kind of organizations kind of stick with that model where the business rights requirements in the Word document and hands it over to the IT, very few of those projects ever succeeded. Yeah? Those IT interprets those Word documents in a completely different way. But imagine what sets of development enables these business people now is to build prototypes, build minimum viable products with the exact requirements what they actually need. And even if it's if it's not that complicated, they can finish those projects with the IT guidance. But if it's too complex, at least they hand it over to the IT at that stage where IT can finish it off and they can still participate in that maintenance and change management process afterwards. And that's, for me, is where the biggest kind of um, bridging that gap between the business and IT is nowadays because you literally, with the sets of development and these technologies, you you develop these MVPs in a matter of hours. And I've, I've witnessed this with the organizations where the team sits around the table, one person is around the behind the keyboard, creating what b- people are brainstorming about. Oh, and absolutely. Um, you, and then, product is you know, to that point, especially with project management, if you want to talk about uh, bringing like real value. So a, a company that has not traditionally adopted, you know, PMI, PMBOK methodology, when you bring that in, you're still trying to tweak what are we going to use, how we're going to implement this. We can't just go out all willy-nilly and buy some software suite that costs us a couple hundred million dollars or whatever, and then try to implement that without a good process. We need to kind of bring it in and slowly scale it up. Uh, one of the things that we were able to do is when we built those four apps and we scaled them, now, four years later, we it's like, okay, hey, we have hit the limit of what we can do with this. Now we've brought that to IT and said, hey, look, here is our working model, but we still need to do this, this, and this, and this. Can you please work with us to find either a vendor or custom build a piece of software? Now we know we're going to get exactly what we want because we've done all the hard work and we've brought them a working model of that. Yeah, this is been very enlightening for me and and of course the challenges time goes by so fast on these shows when we're having good discussion it, we're down to about four or five minutes left and and i'll just pose one indus pm industry challenge question but it really ultimately it's maybe something for a future show to think about because we probably won't have time to answer it is i think we a lot of project managers skip over citizen developer because they don't view themselves as a developer. So it's a, it's an opportunity for someone else, right? It's not for me. So when I'm skimming the PMI page, I just move on to wicked problem solving as opposed to that one, right? Because it's, I don't, I don't make the connection because in my life, they've always been a team I've worked with and I don't internalize that that's something for me. So that that's the, the one challenge I put out there. And, and what it will do is 
I always like to finish the shows by letting each of you kind of say, hey, is there anything that we didn't get to that we wanted to cover in the next minute or two for each of you? Maybe you can address that question or, or, or anything else you want. Dolly, again, we'll, we'll start with you on that. Yeah, I mean, based just building on top of what, what Mike was just saying is um, a lot of the organizations nowadays are undergoing these, what they call digital transformation projects, okay? So uh, that, that, that term means different things to different organizations. You know, for some of them, it means just maintaining the old, uh, upgrading the old systems. For some of them, it means building new or bringing in new systems. But in most of the cases, you'll find that a lot of organizations actually sit on top of these core systems, you know, things like Oracle Financials, SAP, et cetera, et cetera. So these core systems that are sitting there and they're not going anywhere, let's face it. I mean, these are the systems that the business depends on. But what we've discovered over the last few years is those systems don't actually address everything that the business needs. You know, so I've had this case where the companies are using citizen development to build smaller apps that will serve particular groups of people, people like suppliers or, or, or customers, you know, with a specific functionality on top of these systems. And what Mike was saying about getting, pulling data from these different kind of data sources and different kind of systems into these apps that bring enormous business value. So that for me is one of the core kind of uh, challenges nowadays where I see business um, citizen development kind of contributing. Now, just if I have a second, uh, I just want to like to address that question about the project managers not being developers. Citizen development is not about being developers. Project managers are people who can bring citizen development and, and, and drive citizen development initiatives within the organization. They don't necessarily have to develop, but they can participate by bringing this kind of uh, skills, these skills that you know, in terms of managing the risk and identifying applications and managing, basically, it's just a project, but it's a different kind of project. That's it for me. Awesome. Dolly, thank you so much uh, for joining us. I really appreciate uh, all of your insights and experiences. Matt, kind of parting thoughts, final thoughts from you as well? Yeah, it looks like we're a little short on time, so I'll try to do this in like 20 seconds. I'm going to plant the <laughs> seed for maybe a future episode. I am a huge fanboy of what PMI has put together for Citizen Developer, and my favorite part is their maturity model. It's five steps, and it begins with discovery, experimentation, adoption, scaling, and uh, 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 um, innovating. Okay? The reason I'm mentioning that is because some folks say, wow, this is a lot to digest. And I just don't have the time to strategize on picking the best low-code platform for us and putting a whole program together. PMI's approach is saying, no, you don't do that till stage three. Start with discovery. Just get your feet, get one person to get their feet wet with this, learn from it, and then try again with experimenting. We can talk about the whole maturity model later. I think it's a, a, a wonderful path that ease people into citizen development. It, it, it ease the entire company into citizen development. Awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. Appreciate uh, you rejoining us the, for this one. And Michael, same thank you for being on. Your final thoughts on and anything last minute to share with everybody. Absolutely. Thank you for having me again. Um, so I would say I would say this. Um, if if you're thinking that citizen development is is the cure-all, it's 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 something big to uh, to take in. No. As project managers, we don't live in perfect worlds. You know, we have the variables, we have the the things that pop up, the problems. Uh, no two projects are ever completely identical, um, and I challenge you to find those that are. Citizen development is just another tool in the toolbox that you have as a project manager uh, to help drive those results, to help get you, uh, you know, to the win category. So, awesome. Give it a awesome. try. Well, thank you so much, uh, all of you. I really appreciate it. You know, also thank you to our listeners, right? We don't have a show if we don't have listeners. So it's great that we have an audience that likes to hear all of our guests and the insights that they bring. So thank you to them. Be sure to visit Project Management Office Hours website, going out there to the PMO Squad site, hit Office Hours up on the top menu, and you'll be able to get all 111 previous shows or, of course, your favorite podcast platform. They're all out there as well. We're going to skip our next show in October because I'm going to be probably completely burned out from everything we're doing for the PMO Leader Conference. A uh, reminder to everybody, that's going to be on October 18th. You can go out to the pmoleader.com uh, and you'll be able to register for that, uh, for that conference there. Uh, and so we'll be back on November 3rd and we're going to be talking with 
uh, our guests from the PMO Global Alliance. They have a healthcare strategic group uh, that they're working with, and we're going to get some insights and learn more about what they're doing. Reminder, of course, uh, as I said, these shows are live, but we also do record them and we do release them as a podcast. So Project Management Office Hours is out there on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, whatever your podcast uh, platform of choice is. And of course, thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad and the PMO Leader. Without their support, none of this would be possible. Uh, So encourage everyone to go out and take a look at them on their website to see how they might be able to help you or your organization. That's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. Thanks for listening to another episode of Project Management Office Hours with PMO Joe. You're not alone in your project management journey. We're here to help you achieve your goals. Subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on your favorite podcast platform to catch all of our episodes and hear industry leaders share their story and secrets to success.